It's pretty odd to be up here without a guitar or a microphone stand or some instrument. Slightly tempted to go and just pick it up and maybe I'll speak more confidently. I'm I'm very grateful to be here. I am Promise Armstrong, as Pastor Angie just explained. Uh, I serve here at The Vine as the Ministry Life Pastor, which means I get the great opportunity to uh, work with our worship team, our production team, and our Sunday services and events team. And this morning, I get the honor of sharing with you continuing this series of a different spirit. Um, Over the past few weeks, we've looked at this journey. We've looked at what it means to have a different spirit. We've looked at the differences in the 12 spies that went out into the land. Uh, You've got 10 spies who bring back one report, and you've got two spies that bring back a different. And we've been looking and studying that, trying to understand what does it mean to live with a different spirit. See, Caleb and Joshua are the ones who have this different spirit. And in order for us to be the people God has us to be, we have to understand this and and put it into our lives. So the first thing we notice is this, that a different spirit is not a fairy tale spirit. It's not this conceptualized thing. It's, It's pretty realistic, actually. It's a spirit that is capable of seeing giants in the land, obstacles in mountains, yet it's able to focus its eyes and its attention on the grapes. We see that a different spirit is like me and it's just like you, as in it also experiences fear. It's not immune to it. But what makes it different is this. Rather than being a spirit that is intimidated and and is formed by fear, a different spirit on the opposite end informs its fear with its faith. These are the things that it looks like to be a different spirit. And for us today in 2021, a year that has been full of complexity, full of anxiety, for us to be the people God has us to be, it will require us to walk and live in that kind of spirit where we are willing to stand up and step out to bring hope and to bring life and to bring truth into the darkest crevices of our society rather than staying just in here satisfied with just a 90-minute holy huddle. Last week, we learned that a different spirit looks like a repentant spirit, a spirit that is willing to walk closely to God, that's willing to see sin for what it is and not minimalize it, but run quickly to the Father's heart. All these things help us understand what it means to live within a different spirit a spirit that can see God, can see the grapes, can see the giants, and chooses where it focuses its attention towards. So in the past narrative that we've been looking at, this numbers narrative, what's happened so far is this. Moses has sent the men, the 12 men, into Jericho to look at the land, try and understand what's going on, and to bring back a report. Ten of them bring back one report, and two of them bring back a different report, which is a bit odd because all 12 of them went to the exact same place. Interesting how you can all be in the same space, experience the same thing, yet walk away with a different takeaway, sometimes opposing takeaways. And what it shows me is this. The difference in these spies isn't where their feet had been, but rather where their heart is positioned. Caleb's heart was positioned after God. Caleb's heart wanted God. So when we look at this chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, we get a clearer understanding. God speaking to Moses, saying these words, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went into, and his descendants will inherit it. See, there's something about Caleb 
there's something about his spirit that's different than the spirit in the other ten. And God attributes that to the willingness that Caleb has to follow him fully, to follow just God. This is not just an observation of what a different spirit is. This is God himself overseeing the entire situation, watching the hearts and the actions of men from Egypt all the way through the Red Sea to the desert and seeing something in Caleb and identifying it clearly for Moses. And he's saying that it's this willingness to follow me fully, wholeheartedly, and me alone. See, that's the DNA of what a different spirit is. It's a spirit that's willing to follow God alone, God fully. That's the framework. That's the foundation that we build this different spirit on. And it's for this reason that Caleb is willing to see things and is able to see things that the others can't see. It's for this reason that Caleb is willing to go into a land of giants with confidence and where the others are not. This is the heart of a different spirit. So as we look closer at this verse, we see God's clear satisfaction in Caleb's spirit. But what we see about the spirit is some really interesting things here. It's not necessarily described as a super strong spirit. It's not necessarily described as the best spirit, grade eight spirit, top of the class spirit, the most financially stable spirit, right? Like those aren't the attributes that are given. It's not a spirit that you're just born with or you're born without. Right? Instead, it's, it's, this spirit looks a lot like just following God and following God alone. Like That's really what the spirit is. It's a spirit that chooses to follow after God, putting nothing on the same level as him, fully devoted, undivided in its attention, and loyal to God and God alone. It's a spirit that puts nothing on par with God. No dreams, no hopes, no aspirations, nothing at the same level of devotion as with God. It chooses God and it chooses God alone. So here's the thing, this is a pretty big definition. Like that was a lot. God alone above everything else, that's not an easy thing to do. Right, there's a reason why only Caleb is mentioned here. That's like a 20% rate. That's good math. Um, <laughs> but what we see here is that it's not easy. And, and I don't want to paint, it out, paint a picture of this super easy thing. It's something that we all will have to wrestle with, something that we will all have to work hard at. And in our lives today, some of us might ask the question, is it even possible to put God above everything else in your life? Like, some of us are good at putting God in a few sections of being number one in our lives, but can we really say he's number one in every area? In every area is God number one. It's a tough pill to swallow. It's a big ask, but I genuinely believe as we sit through this and as we let the Spirit minister to us and understand these concepts and learn to apply these applications, I genuinely believe that this will challenge us, but also will change who we are at our core. So let's dig in. To follow God is not just a congregational thing. There is a level of personal decision in following God like this. You think about the story. These guys, technically, you can say they followed God from Egypt through the Red Sea when he parted it and you know, it went up like this and they went through, across the sea, into the desert, at the brink of the promised land. They had technically been, I mean, he was going and they were following, pillar of cloud and fire, like they were following behind him. But, but 
Interestingly enough, this verse says, but because my servant Caleb, he identifies Caleb, he separates Caleb from the others. So there seems to be a difference in what's happening here. See, they were all walking behind God, but they weren't all following him. And there is a difference in that. As Susanna mentioned last week, just because we're walking in the same general direction as God does not equate to following him. And I think that's why you can see that these spies all go and have the same shared experience, and Caleb's experience is different. Caleb was following after God, and the others were walking behind him. See, when we think about that, it should make us wrestle with some questions. Well, uh, just so I'm, I'm following behind God or I'm walking behind God, how do I know? What could I actually be following if I'm walking behind God, I'm doing all the right steps, am I actually following God? I think we have to consider some of the thoughts here. Could we be walking behind God following something else? Could there be something else that has our attention? Maybe some end goal or some destination or some method of how we would like to see God work in our lives or how we would like to see God get us from point A to point B. Could that be actually what we're following, disguised as following God? See, because what happens here is that these guys follow God until it gets really difficult and then they want to run back to Egypt. And that's not what a different spirit is. A different spirit isn't the spirit that's like, yes, I'm following God. Sign me up because he's leading me by green pastures, and that's great. And, oh, I'll still follow God because he's leading me by still waters, and that's great. But then you pump the brakes when God leads you up the mountain because, oh, there's cliffs, there's rocks, it's cold, it's dangerous. Or when he leads you in the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, no, it's dark. We don't know what's going on. Our enemies surround us. Maybe not, God. Let me second guess this. Or even worse, into the land he promised to deliver you. Yet, because you see giants, you would rather go back into the bondage he set you out of. See, that's not what a different spirit is. But so often we can be tempted to walk in that way. A different spirit will choose to follow God, not depending on where he's taking you, but satisfied in knowing God will be there. And that's what it was for Caleb. He was satisfied just knowing God is going before us. God will do it. God will be there. And that's why he was able to follow the way that he was with all of his heart. See, we often, we sometimes often, semi-often sing a song at the Vine here, um, which is probably my fault because normally I choose lots of those songs. Um, But the song is called Oceans, and it was really popular back in, like, 2014. You know, it had this really cool bridge, and everyone loved it, and people got tattoos of it. It was really neat. Um, And the bridge goes on forever and ever and ever until everyone stands up and raises their hands and gets into it. But the lyrics of the bridge read this. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. This is a hard song to live. It's a really catchy song to sing, but it's a hard song to live. But I believe that this song is the echo of Caleb's heart. God, wherever you will call me, mountainous, valley, it doesn't matter. Wherever you will call me, spirit, lead me. This is how Caleb lived his life. And I can't help but think that maybe Caleb must have known something about God that made him throw in all his luck with him. There must have been something Caleb saw or experience. There has to be something in that journey from Egypt to the desert 
where he just learned to trust God and was convinced of something in God to where it didn't matter. Regardless if there are giants, Caleb would follow. Regardless if the city that you promised us is fortified with massive walls, Caleb is willing to follow. Caleb believed and saw and was convinced of something in God that he saw in no other person, in no other army, in no other people group, and no obstacle. There was something that he saw in God. See, Caleb saw grapes. Caleb saw giants. But Caleb followed God. So this morning I ask you this. Are you convinced God is who he says he is? Because without that conviction, without being confident in that, it's going to be super hard to follow fully to follow just him, to not want to follow him and all these other things as well. Are you convinced God is who he says he is? Have you seen enough? Have you experienced enough to say, I'm going to throw my luck in with him? Do you trust him to lead you wherever he may call? See, it's clear that a different spirit follows God alone, but it is also clear that this is a challenge. It's hard. It feels somewhat out of reach. And I believe it's because of one little, kind of little, kind of long, but one word in this passage that we read. So let's put the passage again, and it says this in Numbers 14, 24. But because my servant, Caleb, has a different spirit and follows me. One more time. There we go. Wholeheartedly. There's our, there's our key word. There's, there's the a clicker. What does that mean? What, obviously, it's a big thing. It's, a, it's, it's, it's this concept of a single-minded, so single-mindedly with enthusiastic devotion. It means fully following. It means that all of Caleb's heart belonged with God. It means he wasn't sharing his heart, half God, half something else. There wasn't like a roommate situation where God occupied two-thirds and something else occupied the other. Like, that's not how Caleb's heart works. See, the verse doesn't say Caleb followed God with a healthy amount of his heart, as some of us might interpret it as. No, no, it says wholehearted. Here's the thing. Whatever has our heart is what you're going to follow. If it isn't God, if God doesn't wholly have your heart, you're going to follow splintered. You're going to be going two different ways at once. Whatever has your heart is what you'll follow. Matthew 6, uh, Jesus echoes this later on in Matthew 6. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's important. It's critical we know what occupies our heart, what has our heart, what possesses our heart. And and do hear me on this. I'm not saying that you can't love things with your heart. That would be a little odd. We should love things. I have a great wife and I have a son coming in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited to meet. I'm going to love him. But it doesn't mean that I can't love him if I'm going to be wholehearted, right? That, That doesn't work. So what does it mean? It means that nothing other than God is meant to hold or lead my heart, right? So following means that something has to be a leader, right? You have to lead. God can be the only thing that leads my heart, even if I love the things around me. What's, what's, what's really fascinating about 
this wholehearted concept is its relationship to Caleb's name. I find it very, very fascinating. For some of you who know me well, you know that I have been in seminary and I just finished a semester of Hebrew too. I liked it so much, I took it a second time. That's what I tell myself to sleep better at night. Um, but in, in Hebrew, the word Caleb is actually pronounced kalev. It's a, a, a combination of two words, kal and lev, right? So behind me, you'll have some beautiful Hebrew in case you need to get a tattoo at some point. Uh, so kalev breaks down to this. The first word, kal, it's a kaf and a lamed. It equals the word whole or all or entirely. The second half of the word, lev, which is a combination of the two Greek or Hebrew letters, lamed and bet, means heart. Follow me here. Caleb's name means wholehearted. Caleb is the kind of person who is going to do everything wholehearted. And it's really beautiful because if we had a nice, super poetic version of the Bible, I'm convinced it would read like this. But because my servant, wholehearted, follows me wholeheartedly, we are called to be like that servant, wholehearted, and to follow wholeheartedly. See, that is the spirit of Caleb. That is the different spirit. This whole heart concept is to follow God with all that we have. Caleb follows with all of his heart, his whole heart. Caleb isn't perfect. See, it doesn't say that because my servant Caleb is perfect. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He says because he follows me with his whole heart. God is not hung up on perfection. This is something we really have to get down. God is not looking for your perfection. He's caring about your progress and your process. He's caring that you're willing to give all. See, God is like the one teacher who gives an A for effort. I love those teachers. I really wish my Hebrew professor was one of those teachers. <laughs> Unfortunately, he has not been that way. But he's like that. He's an A for effort kind of guy where whether or not you have every, like, it's, it's like a little drawing, right? And the kids are asked to color. It doesn't matter if you've colored in the lines. You have the kid who grabs like six crayons with both hands and his feet and is coloring everything all together. That's the A for effort. That's the whole heart. Using all that you have, all that you are, to follow God. That's what he's asking for. He's not asking for you to be perfect. So don't allow that to intimidate you from drawing closer. Whole heart devotion is where God has 100%. Your heart belongs to him, nothing else. Caleb's heart belonged to just God. And you see, because of that, Caleb was willing to follow God into victory or into what looked like defeat. It didn't matter because he was that all or nothing kind of guy. And it's this wholeness, this wholeheartedness is driven by a love for God. You see, we fall in the temptation of looking at the word all and saying some or feeling some or, or living out some. Actually, we were singing a song just now, Jesus, it is you, all of my rights, all of my wrongs. It's cool. It's hard. If we were to be honest with ourselves, most of the times it's some of our rights, maybe most of our rights, and some of our wrongs, right? Um, we have these great Bible verses that we all love that are super influential and have formed and shaped us into the people that we are and that we would love to put on like a magnet to put on our fridge or on a bumper sticker for our car that actually talks about some of these truths about all. But the reality is that sometimes we live it 
as a sum. So let me read it to you so you get an understanding of where I'm going. Love the Lord your God with some of your heart, half of your soul, part of your mind, a little bit of your strength. That's not as tweetable, is it? What about this one? Trust in the Lord with a portion of your heart, and in some of your ways, just some. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That doesn't flow off the tongue as well. No one really wants that as the verse that they hold on to, right? Because we're tempted. We are tempted to give some. And the reason that is is because we potentially are holding back something. We potentially have reserves. God's all-or-nothing principle is his way of calling out our backup plans. See, you can't follow God wholeheartedly with reservations. You can't follow God wholeheartedly withholding things. You can't follow God wholeheartedly with a bunch of backup plans. See, that was the thing with the 10 spies. The difficulty that they experienced surfaced what was really going on in their hearts. It surfaced their reality that they had, if God doesn't work out, we'll just go back to Egypt. Because they were real quick to say that. Like that was like plan, that was plan B. (laughs) So to follow God, we can't have backup plans. And what that does is it speaks to the faith and trust we have in God to have to follow him in this way. See, to follow God wholeheartedly is a heart that gives God access to all. Because the most beautiful, partial hearts will never be enough to walk and follow behind God fully. The most beautiful partial, the most beautiful part of your heart is never going to be enough to follow God fully. Because that actually gives us to a point of either he is your God or he isn't God. And I don't mean that you don't like him or you don't take some notes or you don't have a Bible, you don't do these good things. He either is God, which means he's God of all, or, or, he's, or he's not, or we're withholding certain things. I'm well aware that was a really hard thing to hear. And so I want to spend the next few minutes really bringing us to a way of understanding what can we do. God's not in heaven beating us over the head for not getting it right. That's not who he is. That's not his character. It's not his heart. He's calling us into wholehearted devotion. And, and, and the good news is that he will be satisfied in our efforts. The efforts you put forward will be rewarded. You don't have to get it perfect. It's not about legalism. You don't have to check every box of praying 17 times a day or memorizing all the scripture. Like, that's not what it's about. But it's about the effort. And we're going to spend some time looking at three ways the effort can play out in ways that we can take a step, just at least one step closer towards giving God our all. Is that okay? All right. So the first thing I want us to think about is this. We tend not to follow what we don't know. I'm aware I use a double negative. I'm so sorry for any grammar freaks out there. Uh, We will not follow what we don't know. Right? Like that's just, if you don't know somebody, if you don't know what they stand for, if you don't know their values, their guiding principles, the story behind them, their reputation, you probably will not reprioritize your entire life to where they are above everything. That's just not how we operate. We, we even teach this to our children. We have a phrase called stranger danger. You teach your child not to follow some random person that they don't know, right, because we want them to be safe. 
babies do this on their own. Like if you bring, uh, Pastor Ellison has a, a cute little nine-month-old. If you just leave him with me, yeah, little Isaiah's going to scream. <laughs> Rightly so. He doesn't know me. One of, my, one of my good friends, Denny, he has a two-year-old now. But earlier in her life, she was just like little Isaiah. She didn't know me. She didn't know me at all. So every time they would leave her with me, they would be like, here, promise, hold her. Never turned out well. They took her back immediately. But it's because she did not know me. She did not know me. I was not familiar. But something changed in the past few years. As Emmy grew older, we spent more time together. Our families took trips together. We spent Christmas Eve and all these different occasions together. Emmy started to know me. Emmy started to really know me. To the point where if I showed up at her house today, little Emmy would stop what she's doing and would do anything that I'm doing in that house. If I'm running around making a mess out of what they had just nicely cleaned up, Emmy will do the same. If I'm taking things out of the fridge and putting it in the bedroom, Emmy's going to do the same. If I am throwing balls everywhere and playing basketball in the living room, Emmy is going to follow me and do the exact same thing. Her parents won't like us, but she will follow me into that. But it shows me something. Emmy knows me. Now that she's familiar with me, she's willing to follow me. How much more, when we become familiar with who God is, will we be willing to follow him? Let, let your knowing of God lead to your trusting of God. That's my second point. Let what you know of God lead to how you trust him. See, we know he's sovereign. We know he's good. How, it's time we learn to trust that he's sovereign and trust that he's good. We have to trust that when we follow him and we reach a place of difficulty, a challenge, a dark space, a mountain, that he is capable of leading us through that. We have to trust that even though this year has been absolutely difficult, the past few years have been really difficult for every person on the globe, that he's aware. He knows of the job losses. He knows about the relocation. He knows about the family members that have fallen sick. He's there. He's with us. And we have to trust that. See, God isn't saying, oops, 2021 just slipped out of my hands. Oh, I didn't know that was happening. Man, that, that's not how he operates. But he's with us, and we have to trust that he is not careless, but that he is radically in love with every single one of us, knowing every aspect of our lives. He's not going to be forgetful. He's not going to be unfaithful. He's a good shepherd. And maybe one of the ways we can take this concept and boil it down to a practical step is let me challenge you this week, before you start your day, before you get on the train and deal with people who you may not like, before you open your email and have to become the boss that you are, maybe create a moment and, and verbally say the words, Jesus, I choose to trust you. Maybe allow yourself to say, Jesus, I choose to trust you and see what that confession of your heart will do to your willingness to follow him, to hear him, to be more like him. Jesus, I trust you. See how that realigns your heart and your priorities with his. Jesus, I trust you. See how that impacts and affects your anxiety. Jesus, I trust you. See, when we trust someone, it becomes so much easier to follow them. 
And here's the last thing. It's all about the eyes. It's all about the eyes. See, we live in a world, as Andrew just shared, full of distraction. There are things everywhere to look at. There are things calling for our attention. And that's what the story was for these guys as well. They walked into a land and had obstacles and giants and grapes and probably other things. What's different? What allows us to follow God better with more of our hearts is where we know where to fix our eyes. I'm not saying you can't look and see other things. We are aware that both Caleb, Joshua, and all the other 10 saw the giants. They all saw them. They all saw the walls. They saw the grapes. But there's a difference in what you see and what you fix your eyes and your attention on. And perhaps when we learn to fix our eyes on God, and not just because it's a cool thing to do or because there's like a hymn about it somewhere, but when we fix our eyes towards God, we see that's where our hope comes from. When we fix our eyes towards God, that's where our strength to navigate through these situations come from. When we fix our eyes on him, that's where all we need will come from. See, the problem with the 10 spies is that they had a vision problem. They had a seeing problem. They focused more of their eyes and their attention on the obstacles, on the giants, and on God. And if I'm honest, I'm very similar. Actually, both me and my wife are very similar. We are what you call fix-it people. We like to fix things. Uh, if anything is slightly, slightly broken, slightly not working, we will try to fix it. Luckily, we've not tried to fix one another yet, so still doing well uh, yeah, in time. Um, but here's the thing. There's, there's a role that we get to play in following God, and it's not the fixing. It's fixing our eyes, but it's not the fixing. Because the battle that we step into, the mountains that are in front of us, those obstacles have been overcome. God has gone before you. God has been there. He makes a way where there is no way, right? That's, who, that's just what he does. That's just who he is. And so when we fix our eyes on God and not on the problem, we stop trying to solve it and we let God be God and we just follow. That's not the easiest thing to do. A lot of us like to fix things. And so it requires us to be aware of this tendency in our hearts and to fix our eyes on him. And think of Joshua as the story continues. If Joshua would have spent more time fixing his eyes on, okay, the walls are uh, this tall, a couple meters, and I need to get 15, 16 ladders, I need to have 700 people, we need to, if he started fixing his eyes on all the ways he could overcome this obstacle, he potentially would have missed God. Because God's method wasn't the way that we would normally go. No one looks at capturing a city or winning a battle by walking around it and singing. That's unheard of. Unless you fix your eyes. In him, when we fix our eyes, that's where our victory is. And so church, I want to encourage you this morning to fix your eyes, to trust him. Make, make, make it a challenge to yourself this week. Jesus, I trust you to spend some time asking yourself, what am I holding back? What am I withholding from him? What are my reservations and why? And ask yourself, do you know him? Do you know of him? Do you know him? And spend some time, read his stories, hear about who he is. The Bible is full 
full of ways for us to get to know him better. And I think it's when we have that, we can walk in the confidence of Caleb to fully, wholeheartedly follow God and God alone, devoted to just him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you call us to a place of very, very, very deep surrender. God, to a place where our eyes have to be set on you, our heart has to be locked into who you are, and a place of getting to know you. God, we thank you that the battle has been won. God, we thank you that you are good and that we can trust that. We thank you that you are faithful and we can trust that. And God, you know each of our stories. You know each of the ways that we lean. You know each of our tendencies. And Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment to come and speak, to come and illuminate the things that we are withholding, the things that we are reserving, the ways in which we don't yet trust, the ways in which we don't yet know. God, we thank you that you are a God that is gracious and kind, that you are patient that you're not waiting for us to get it perfect, but you're waiting for us to trust you enough to give all. So God, would you help us? Would you help me follow you more fully? So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.